Okay, there. Okay, good morning. As I said, it's week 10, but who's counting? I am. <laughs> and I, and I am, uh, I'm ready for us to uh, worship together one day, all of us again, and I know that day's coming. We're a week closer to that. Every week I say that, don't I? But we continue in our, our journey through uh, the book of James. Letter recognized to be the earliest New Testament uh, writing, written by the brother of Jesus, spoken directly to the church of the first century, and I will say in a very salient way, it's written to the church of the 21st century. Maybe James' fervent pleading that we've come to see and hear and know uh, in uh, this brief five-chapter epistle resulted from the fact that he really didn't see who Jesus was, his brother, until the resurrection. That's when he realized he was the son of man and the son of God. Traits, I, I think, in a way of a new follower of Jesus Christ. When someone comes to Christ, a new Christian, maybe you've met one of those individuals, maybe you are one, and when that happens, they seem to have a fervency that... Uh, you, you actually long for in many ways. In fact, uh, I think they oftentimes uh, speak louder than the Salvation Army bell that rings outside of Walmart at Christmas time. But James wrote this letter to the 12 tribes that had been scattered among the nations. Chapter one, just a little brief re review. Chapter one speaks of pure joy when we face trials. How can we relate to that today? And then being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How might that speak to myself today as well as you all? And then how about chapter two, not showing favoritism based on designer clothing and physical uh, wealth? Couldn't help but think about every now and then I like to watch that, um, oh, Britain's Got Talent. And you remember the, uh, oh, Susan Boyle? Every now and then I have to click on that and remind myself as it's easy to judge someone. And then when you heard her sing, I have a dream from Les Miserables, everyone you noticed in that audience took, a, took another thought, another, you could almost feel the repentance in their hearts. But then there's no breath lost as he moves on and, talks about faith and deeds, and then, and then going into the tongue and how significant that little tongue is, how it can bless the Lord and then curse man at the same time. Isn't that something we're called to recognize today? How does that speak to me and maybe you too? But this morning, I've been brought to this passage is really just a few verses uh, from James chapter three, where he talks about uh, two cities. So I've entitled this, The Tale of Two Cities. But uh, as we look at this scripture, I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the words of David, let the morning bring us word of your unfailing love, for we put our trust in you. Show us the way that we should go, and to you we will lift up our souls. 
And rescue us from our enemies, O Lord, for we hide ourselves in you. And teach us to do your will, for you are our God. And may your good spirit lead us on level ground. Lord, we pray for that level ground here this morning in a world that seems anything but level. Lord, we know you are God, you are sovereign, you are over all things. So Lord, uh, may your word be my rule this morning, your spirit my teacher, and the glory of Christ my greatest concern. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you at home, uh, you can take out your Bibles, uh, you can look on the screen, the scripture will be there as well. But we're gonna look uh, first and we're gonna walk through this passage. Really three parts, first is the introduction. And that starts with uh, verse 13 of chapter three in James. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, show his works in the meekness. Let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. Some interesting words that James starts out with in this brief passage. Who is wise and understanding among you? And by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I invite you to think about that, meekness, that word. You see, in the Greek culture in that time, and probably no different today, meekness is often thought of as weakness. That's far from being the truth. Meekness is actually um, the antithesis of self-ambition. And the Greeks, and in that time, felt that that was the most important, self-ambition. Being, I'll say, the master of your faith, the captain of your ship. Totally contrary to what meekness means. Meekness means this. It means trusting in God for everything. No surprise, Jesus used these very words on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inherit the earth, really, what does that look like? I think what it means is the fact that when we trust in God, where we are in this life, we learn to lean on him in all ways. And maybe that's how many of us have come in these last weeks, learning to trust and lean on him, not on self. Jesus continues with these words in verse 16, when he said, now let, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, that is what trusting God means. That's meekness. Meekness has everything to do with God. Good conduct that he speaks about is the fruit of the heart. The fact that uh, it results in good deeds. Behaviors change when hearts change. We've talked about that before, that you, know, you can say one thing, you can have knowledge, but until your heart changes, and I call it that longest distance between the head to the heart, for a Christian is when a heart changes. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, as a, as a face in the water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the man. You see, if you wanna know who someone is, 
Look at their life. Look at how they live. That will tell you where their heart is. Some will say this, and maybe not all of us use that anymore, but uh, if you want to see what makes a difference to someone, look at their checkbook register. I can say that to myself as well. So does the world understand Christians? The scripture tells us, live such good lives. This is Peter's words. I shared these with Andrew this morning. They've, they've always kind of touched me. When Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, he said, live such lives among the pagans or the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, maybe they don't like the way you follow as a Christian. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to God on the day he visits us. What that's saying is, sometimes we're the only Bible people read. The fact is, they're looking at your life. And how do we look any different than those others around us? We should be different. We should have an aroma that they might, uh, as we talked about even earlier this morning, we should be the kind of folks that people look at and say, I want what you have. What is that? What makes you so different? What gives you joy? What gives you that happiness that you seem to exude? Deeds done in good conduct. Works done out of gratitude to God. Those works will speak like a megaphone to a deaf world. You see, that's what people need to see and hear. It's not about sharing a scripture with an unbeliever or something. It's about sharing your life with them. Scripture will come. Scripture is actually what comes out of you in your life. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount so that his father would get the glory. For the way and the disciples also would live. And James was restating this as we look at wisdom. What does wisdom mean? It's a lifestyle that will bring the church to the glory of God. In this time of uncertainty, you may offer the hope, the hope that we have. And as I said in the prayer, let the morning bring us word of your unfailing love. So the fact is we trust in the power of the gospel, which is to glorify God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Fact is, we'd rather glorify ourselves, wouldn't we? We'd rather live a life that is of selfish ambition. But that's not how we were created. We're called to trust in the power of the gospel, to change lives, to change our behaviors. But now we come to this next portion of this scripture, which is really broken into two parts. And that's why I called it the tale of two cities. Verse 14 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder in every vile practice. The fact is, earthly wisdom is not wisdom at all. The wisdom we should have is wisdom from above. James is boldly stating this. 
This is a transgression really of the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. He leans into that one in this scripture. Jesus said this in John 13, 34, 35. You know these words. A new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What does that look like for us today, to love one another, even amongst differences? Where is, where is our citizenship? Where is my citizenship? Where do I put my roots? How deep do I pound that stake into the ground? Have you thought about that? What is most meaningful to you? What city holds your address? An earthly city or a heavenly city? We seem to have a tendency to want to look at the created things more than the creator. I fall in that same place as well. But I'm reminded to bless him, to give glory to God in all things. I believe that these last 10 weeks, and I truly believe this, are pointing myself, and I know many of us, to a heavenly citizenship. There are more people coming to Christ today than ever before in the history for many years, probably the turn of the century at a time of an evangelist called Billy Sunday. Do you remember him? Ever read about Billy Sunday? He was a baseball player that turned into an evangelist. He, was, he would be a pre-Billy Graham. The fact is, uh, there was a revival. There was a revival, and I think a revival is starting even today. A sign. A sign maybe that this is the end of a post-Christian era and the beginning of a Christian era. How do you and I respond as believers our hearts, others will see. And it will, they will see how it reflects your citizenship. And maybe their desire would be, that would be where they would want to have their citizenship as well. Paul in Colossians 3 sets those two places. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death all those things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another. For you have taken off the old self and are being renewed in the knowledge and image of the Creator. There are three adjectives that James states in this, this brief passage. He says, uh, things of this earth are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And all of these contribute to disorder and chaos. Just look at the world today. You don't have to look too far. I was aghast when I heard of what happened this past Thursday, what was reported in Kabul, Afghanistan, where an Islamic terrorist stormed into the maternity ward of a hospital, killing 16 women who had just given birth to babies, and two babies as well. 
a selfish ambition, I will say. I will go beyond that. This is demonic. This is not of God at all. There are many other stories that you can hear. I get the Voice of the Martyrs emails, and when you read what happens in the terrorism and persecutions that are happening to Christians around the world, makes you wonder. But these people are faithful, and they'll die speaking the word of Jesus Christ on their lips. So in the midst of the chaos of this world, we're called to reflect our citizenship. The first century young church, and it was a very young church, found itself in a place of total disorder, total chaos in many ways. Persecution was the norm, and they even fought amongst themselves. I don't know if they had worship wars over music or anything like that, maybe. I'm sure there were many things, and probably some of the things came back from the Jewish ways, the Hebrew ways, legalism. And what they needed to realize is it wasn't about legalism. It was about, as James tells so poignantly throughout his epistle, it's about God's grace. It's all about grace. So, where is your citizenship? That's one place we don't want it to be, isn't it? In a place that's earthly and spiritual and demonic. But there's another city. And in verses 17 and 18, I invite you to look at those words. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So wisdom from above is first pure. There's a reason. There's, there's actually purity is the first of seven words that James uses in this brief couple of verses. Seven words that point to really wholeness and a perfection. Purity is holiness. That's what purity means. It's like when Scripture states, be holy because I am holy. You and I are temples of the living God. I invite you to cling to those words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. He says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. And then James says to be peaceable and gentle. What is peace? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Peace. What is it about peace? I often use in the benediction uh, over time, I'll end with shalom. And shalom has a, a deep meaning of peace. You see, shalom embraces a wholeness, a peace that God had with Adam and Eve when they walked in the garden. A peace that had all creation, everything was not in chaos. It was all orderly. It was all done in people 
as they did as they walked together, walked in love and in peace, a perfect shalom. But what happened after sin entered the world? Disorder and chaos, a brokenness. But that's why Jesus came. You see, Jesus came in John 14, 27, he says this, he says, right at the end of his earthly ministry, you may remember this, as he confronted the disciples in the upper room, he said, shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Shalom, true shalom, is a restoration of peace that existed at the beginning of the world. So my friends, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, it's about grace. Those words of Galatians 5 speak to us deeply. That's who we should be. That's our citizenship. That's where we should put our stakes. So what does it look like for you and I? Well, look at Jesus, same words in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, I think this passage, this brief passage, just speaks so keenly of the Beatitudes. This is what really James was stating, and I think that's what we can take away here this morning. Where is our citizenship? Is it based on earthly wisdom, which is not wisdom at all? A selfish ambition? Or is it based on a true wisdom? A wisdom of meekness, of trusting God in everything, in every way. So I want to share with you a couple stories. This first story, and they're both true stories. This first story is a story of a dear friend of mine and his wife, both dear friends. I learned how they reached out. He reached out to a coworker one who was struggling in his work with chronic depression, one who was very despondent, even considered taking her life. This individual and his wife walked with this dear woman. She had been in an abusive marriage, had virtually nothing she saw to live for. This couple loved them, loved her, and they befriended her prayed with her, walked with her, even gave her some gifts and support to help her in this struggle. A short time ago, they found out it was her birthday. It was a significant decade birthday. She's not a young lady. And so they surprised her at work and brought in a birthday cake and put it in the break room. And when she came in, she wept. She wept. She said, this is the first birthday cake I could ever remember getting. And then the comment was, why do you do these things for me? Why? And the answer was this, God loves you and so do we. 
and we want you to know him. You see, that's what it means, living out your faith. Again, you may be the only Bible that some people read this week and in these coming weeks. Your life, how does it reflect Christ? And how about this second story? Just the other night, I had an opportunity of talking to a dear saint who used to attend here. She moved out of state, or out of, away from this area to the east side of the state and lives in an independent living. She's 86 years young. A widow for seven years this coming November, which was my first year, my, one of my first funerals here, um, of her husband, Peter. Both of them, dear, dear people. And as I was on the phone with Helen the other night, and she knows I'm gonna share this, so it's okay. It was almost like we had never parted each other. We continued, we talked together, we shared life, shared the joy we have because of our citizenship, because of, I'll say, the meekness of wisdom. It was like we'd never been apart. It was beautiful. In fact, uh, before we left on the phone Thursday evening, she said, I know we'll be together for eternity one day. What a joyful thought that is. But I want to tell you what else. She's 86. She's involved deeply in three Bible studies. Not one, not two, but three. And then she shared with me in a very humble way that she's led two people to Christ in one of her studies. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his or her good conduct, let them show the works in the meekness of wisdom. The tale of two cities. Which city do you want to live in? What's the city that's going to bring the greatest joy? How can we be the salt and the light? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Which one of you will light a lamp and put it under a bushel? But instead, you put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your deeds shine so that others may see your good deeds. Let your light shine and they may give glory to God. That, my friends, is true righteousness. And that righteousness will grow only in a climate of shalom. Shalom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for James and your calling to him, to, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write such deep words, words that bring us to acknowledge that our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what your son did. That's what Jesus did. He gave glory to the Father. So Lord, help us to give glory to the Son and glory to the Father, glory to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that works in hearts, to change hearts, to change behaviors, to bring us to the place of our new citizenship, 
Our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, help us in our daily walk. Help us to be the salt and the light in a world that so desperately needs it. And we pray this in the name of our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people at home said, Amen.